This is The Shorts, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries, a Duct Tape Than Beer production, with additional support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Patagonia. Burly shouts of enthusiasm, whoops of joy, and the sound of rushing water filled my ears. The raft quivered in the current as I leaned over the paddle, trying desperately to keep it from flipping over and catapulting its six other passengers overboard and into the chilly river. Admittedly, they weren't clients. They were my fellow course attendees. And frankly, each one of those hulking guys would have relished the opportunity to go for a swim after the relentless afternoon that we'd had. It was the first day of a raft guide course the key to endless travel, adventure and exploration in the years after my upcoming graduation. Or so I thought. I was on the final manoeuvre of the day. Perspiration beaded on my forehead around the rim of my helmet. I would get this raft to turn. I firmly yelled my instructions to the rest of the team and steered. The raft spun in the white water like it was dancing and I swelled with pride. Then I felt something inside my right shoulder shift. I ignored it, or tried to, and rearranged my face into as composed an attitude as I could for the last hour of the session. When I got home that evening, my shoulder felt like it was carrying a dead weight rather than an arm. But I reassured myself that it was probably nothing, took a few painkillers, and headed out to a party. After all, I'd had aches and pains before. I was strong, fit, and pretty hardy, and I had spent almost as much time in a kayak over the past three years as I had out of it, without any problems at all. Surely I'd wake up feeling fine. Getting out of bed the next morning, bleary-eyed and pretty fuzzy-headed, it became clear that everything was not fine. A combination of niggling ache and dull throb had lurked quite literally over my right shoulder for the whole of the previous evening. My self-medication of half a dozen lagers and a handful of painkillers had, unsurprisingly, not worked and moving my shoulder felt like grinding a red-hot pestle into a sore and angry mortar. It really hurt. I spent the next week or so in denial. A denial of worn-arm showers and left-handed typing, until finally I headed to a doctor and then to a physio to start the long and bumpy road to diagnosis. Since I'd left home four years earlier, I had focused all of my energy on constructing a new life, a close circle of friends and an identity around the outdoors, specifically around whitewater kayaking. All of my friends kayaked. All of the trips we went on were kayaking trips. When not kayaking, we talked about kayaking, or we played canoe polo as an excuse to get into a boat when it hadn't rained rain being a prerequisite for boating in the UK, where we have neither glaciers nor much snowmelt. 
that old adage about eating, sleeping, and drinking a sport? I did that. It became an all-consuming, almost fanatical passion, and when I couldn't do it, I felt lost and completely bereft. I kept telling myself that my shoulder would heal soon. Just a few months and I would be back in a boat. When that didn't happen, I would push the deadline further into the future. Okay, so I couldn't go on a trip over Christmas, but surely by Easter I could go to Scotland. Even when Easter rolled around and I still couldn't open doors or need bread, I decided that a summer trip to Uganda could be on the cards. It was a dangerous game to play. Each missed deadline hit home hard, and the fear and panic I was bottling up inside would swell till the pressure began to feel unbearable. Nine months after the injury, I went on our university club's annual expedition to the French Alps. While my friends kayaked, I hiked, determined to have fun. On one such hike, I walked through a picturesque alpine village near camp and up into the meadows of the mountain range beyond. After hours of solitary walking along a dusty, empty trail, I stopped to eat lunch on a large rock at the edge of a field of poppies. Tears streamed noiselessly down my face as I watched the crimson flowers sway in the breeze, oblivious to the majesty of the mountains around me. I was terrified that I would lose the things that I loved, the community, the adventures, the friends, and most importantly, a crucial part of who I felt I was. Now at this point, you're probably thinking, isn't she taking this a bit too hard? And you're right. I hadn't lost a limb or a loved one, and I hadn't been diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. Pain and lack of sleep do cause people to act in ridiculous ways, but even that doesn't fully excuse the depths of despair that I fell into. The world hadn't ended, but I was certainly acting like it had. Over time, however, the pain abated. I made new friends, which reassured me that people still enjoyed my company, even if I didn't have grand tales of whitewater adventures to tell at the end of every weekend. And I stayed close to all of the friends that I had worried would toss me to the wayside. I found that our shared experiences on the river were only part of what bound us. We still took weekend trips together. The activities just became shoulder friendly. I also realised that I still loved the rivers and the sea, even if I couldn't kayak on them. So I found slower and lower intensity ways to appreciate them. I finally got to see my local mountains in every season, in all weathers and all moods. I raced friends down muddy, slippery slopes, sliding full pelt on the seat of my waterproof trousers. I made one-armed snow angels on the tops of small blustery peaks at Christmas. I found glistening waterfalls and enticing plunge pools in hidden valleys and backwaters that I would never have explored. And I spent sunny summer Sundays lounging on the banks of small mountain streams. None of these trips were serious expeditions, but it didn't matter. 
They filled me with fresh air, laughter and happiness. And as my life filled, the fear in the pit of my stomach abated. I was healing emotionally, even if physically, I still wasn't making much progress. Two years post-injury, I had the operation that finally fixed my shoulder. I can now paddle the rivers and I can surf again, but the long and difficult rehab led me to a small but significant epiphany. I recognised that my biggest fear about losing my identity could never have come true even if I hadn't ever sat in a kayak again. Kayaking isn't part of my personality. I am a kayaker because of who I am, because of my love for wild places and adventure. It made me think that when it comes to the outdoors and our beloved sports, I needed to readjust a certain popular saying. What I do does not define me. It is who I am that defines what I do. I am Sarah Catherine Paul, and this is my short. Everyone and everything through my memories a ring. A sound from long ago. Thanks, Sarah, for sharing your story. Sarah has recently moved to Cornwall, and she wants to take advantage of the sea by jumping into it every single day, kayaking around the Silly Islands, and wild camping one night a week. Sounds like a great way to explore your new digs. Music today from the henchmen of school shooting, Fog Lake, Amy Stolzenbach, Ketza, and Benny No Good. The tracks are courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley and Free Music Archive. You can find links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Support for the diaries comes from you. Your donations, story submissions, music, and notes of thanks keep us going. Thank you for being part of this community. Support for the show comes from New Belgium Brewing, who are gearing up for their Clips of Faith tour. Sip on some esoteric beer offerings, and sit back while you take in some incredible short films. With 20 stops across the U.S., find out if they're coming to a town near you at newbelgium.com. Additional support comes from Patagonia. Please visit patagonia.com to watch Defined by the Line. It's a 7-minute film about climber Josh Ewing, who started exploring southeast Utah and places like Indian Creek and Cedar Mesa and fell in love with them. He realized that he had a bigger stake than just being a visitor and a climber. It wasn't wasn't enough to just love a place. He had to do something to protect it. You can help Josh protect the Bears Ears area, which includes Indian Creek, permanently. That's right, permanently protect Indian Creek. Over 11,000 people have signed the petition, but Josh is aiming for 20,000. So please, take action, go to patagonia.com, sign the petition. Support for the show comes from Kuat Racks a little company with a big dream to make a better bike rack. Find their Burly NV rack at kuatracks.com. This episode of The Diaries was produced by Jen Altschul and Becca Cahal. I'm Fitz Cahal, and you're listening to The Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in. But the seeds have some grow today Though the things I've known